calling all Hallyu podcast fans. How would you like to sit down in a live recording of our show and other popular K-pop podcasts? Well, on Saturday, July 18th, the hashtag KPSN Podcast Fest is happening online. For the entire day, some of your favorite Hallyu podcasts, including us, will be participating in live interviews, recordings, and games with listeners like you. Tickets are only $5 and are available at macgproductions.eventbrite.com. All of the proceeds are going to a good cause, so... Please join us if you would like to. It's going to be lots of fun. That's macgproductions.eventbrite.com, Saturday, July 18th. Be there. Welcome to Ask Me About K-Pop, the essential guide for recent converts and seasoned fans alike. My name is Shannon. And I'm Angelica. And it's time for another piece of our discussion lately about problematic issues with race and K-Pop. And a lot of people were joking about how we said last week cultural appropriation is coming and it sounded like Game of Thrones. Um, Yes, we've had this cultural appropriation is coming motto for like, well, what feels like a long time, but time is meaningless nowadays. That's very true. (laughs) But it's been looming over us. It feels like it's been looming over us since we've returned. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And I guess I just wanted to like clarify up top because a lot of these like, ooh, it's coming episodes led me to believe that y'all are like expecting a hit list and like a a whole like history of every infraction ever committed by k-pop and like that's not what's happening today we're gonna have a much bigger conversation about cultural appropriation in general and what it is and what it isn't and blah 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 um so there will be specific examples but if you are expecting like a checklist of every person like it's not gonna be here today Mm -hmm. yeah well our first our faves are problematic edition was like sort of a chronological list of some specific anti-black examples. But the unfortunate truth is that there's so many examples of cultural appropriation. And for a lot of different reasons, like pretty much every example is debatable. I think there's a lot more gray area in cultural appropriation than there is in something like blackface, right? That's a lot easier to spot and say like, hey, this is wrong. And cultural appropriation, there's a lot of debate around it. So we're going to have a little bit, like you said, of like a larger discussion. But we will use some specifics in order to illustrate our points. And I think that's the important thing that I wanted to sort of get at today is that I feel like in the current climate or very recently and at least like the online fandom world, like an allegation of cultural appropriation has just sort of become this like it like a fandom weapon and mm. it feels like nobody wants to actually talk about any of it and like get into the nuances they want like black and white like if you do this thing you are bad and like use it for like I don't know weird fan wars or like whatever everybody cares about that isn't real Mm -hmm. (sighs) um but like it is it's like a much more complicated thing and we have and we'll get into that today um so I just feel like you know this is a k-pop discussion that needs to be had like we've been having for the past couple of weeks 
Yep, just add it to the list of things mm-hmm. things we have to talk about. Yeah. Um, so would you like to should we just start off educational style with a straight up yes, definition? Absolutely. So cultural appropriation is a phrase that has come up. It comes up a lot, not just in K-pop, but I think sort of in entertainment and culture in general. This mm-hmm. might be a phrase we hear a lot. Cultural appropriation is the adoption of an element of one culture by members of another culture, and it becomes controversial when members of a dominant culture appropriate from a disadvantaged minority culture. So it stems from this idea that a culture that is dominant or uh, has the majority in any kind of society, if they are taking from a group that is marginalized in any way, that's when it becomes appropriation as opposed to something that would be more of like, um, you know, cultural appreciation or this idea of like multiculturalism in a global society. The main question that people talk about when they discuss and write about cultural appropriation is whether or not it's an equal cultural exchange um, because you have to consider like the societal context of the of who the majority group is and who the minority group is like who is it that's taking from this culture because um, of course like we talk about all the time we live in an intersectional world so you can't really right. separate somebody's like race from their class from their social standing in a lot of different ways like all of our society is very interwebbed. Yes, and in the same way, it feels like cultural appropriation or multiculturalism or any of that is just a byproduct of living in like a global world. Like it's not the 1400s. So like everybody has access to each other and their stuff. And it like isn't crazy that someone would be like, hey, I like that thing. I want it too. Yes. Like at a base level, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And at a base level, it's not necessarily like evil. This idea of like sharing cultures and learning from one another or being inspired by another culture in creating your own art or something. Cultural appropriation, I think, happens a lot in the arts um, in particular. But so... One thing that I read a lot about in coming up with this, like how people define cultural appropriation, um, it's often thought of as a form of colonialism um, because when the majority, what's happening is that the majority group is stealing cultural elements from the minority group and then divorcing it from the original context. So then those cultural elements become stripped of their original meaning. And then, like we were talking about in an earlier discussion, they become reduced to something that's quote-unquote exotic or ethnic. And so you're making somebody's like identity, their religion or their belief system, or even just certain traditions, and it's becoming kitschy, right? It's becoming mm-hmm. like fashionable. Um, and that's dehumanizing. It's fetishizing. We've talked about the idea of like othering before. And mm-hmm. in general, it's just belittling to the cultures that are being appropriated because you're just saying like oh that's cute I want to wear it but you're not necessarily considering that like hey actually that's a religious piece of clothing that's only worn during these sacred ceremonies and it's really offensive like it's sacrilegious that you would be putting that on right now while you're dancing or something like that sure let's do western examples because cultural so because we talked about how like multiculturalism right So I think that 
I feel like one of the worst examples in Western culture or one of the most prevalent ones for as long as like television has existed is like Native American Mm -hmm. appropriation in American media, like, you know, cowboy movies or all of that stuff. And then recently, like Coachella fashion Mm -hmm. of like wearing headdresses, like for the aesthetic of it. Yeah. Or Um, fringe and turquoise and that kind of stuff. I remember this conversation really started like getting bigger or in the past couple of years like every time that Halloween rolls around Mm -hmm. um, because like the idea that you can just dress up like a Mexican for Halloween and like what the fuck does that mean and like turning people into caricature yeah like whole countries of people into like a weird stereotype caricature of a person um and mascots I like I had to take a second for mascots because I was listening to a very my friend Mark McConville has an interesting podcast on Stitcher Premium called mascots and he was talking to Rhea Butcher about offensive American mascots um and they were just talking about like people should probably never be like mascots or mm-hmm. anything because that's just like inherently problematic. Like if your team is like, we're the dinosaurs, like cool. But then if you're like the warriors, like what does that mean? And what iconography yeah. are you using? And like, ooh, Yeah, what kind of image are you going to associate with that word? And then is that image some kind of caricature of an entire group of people? There's a lot of different examples. Like we said, you know, it's not just a K-pop specific problem in the United States, especially like being such a diverse country. I think we have cultural appropriation all over the place. Like you said, Native American culture, I think is maybe the most appropriate Native American and black culture maybe is the most appropriate and hard to have a competition. But um, yeah, I also was reading about how like even things like, um, you know, if you get a tattoo of like a Polynesian tribal pattern or you get a tattoo of like a Chinese character um, and you have no idea what it means or Celtic art or whatever, and you're just completely separating it from the original cultural context and meaning, that's where it becomes a problem. Yeah, one I one example that just kept coming to my mind when we were like getting this together was like I feel like it was Gwen Stefani's fault, but like somewhere around when I was in middle school, like every single store sold sticker sheets of bindies. Mm, like, like, ooh, this yes. is the cool new fun thing to put on your face. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember when that was cool. Right. So thing like things like that where you just like take a thing that is like sacred and important to somebody and just turn it into like kitsch or a cost like a costume yeah you turn it into a costume um I read one quote that I thought was eloquent in like summarizing the problem and like how you know when it is cultural appropriation because we're gonna continue questioning like this whole episode and the rest of our lives always like (laughs) is this cultural appropriation right how do we know when it is. And this quote sums it up, I thought, kind of succinctly. And it was when the person who is impersonating the culture is someone who does not experience the oppression, they are able to play temporarily as an exotic other without experiencing any of the daily discriminations faced by that original culture. So somebody who, we're going to talk about this a lot when we talk about hair, but like dreads, for example, if, uh, you know, consider the way that a black person with dreads is treated versus someone who then is wearing that hairstyle who isn't black and is wearing it as like a fashion statement, how they might be treated differently, even though it's the same hairstyle. Sure. 
So just some things to consider when we're talking about what is cultural appropriation. Absolutely. Yeah. Cont- like context is going to be very important at all times here. So then um, applying it to K-pop in particular, right? How, what are some common examples of cultural appropriation that we see in K-pop? Because I think this is maybe, I feel like it's sort of the most common criticism of K-pop that I come across in like, you know, think pieces or Twitter rants or whatever the case may be. I feel like most people get angry about this. Like, or I would say like, locals right people who like don't know a lot about k-pop and they're like well i don't know about this k-pop but they seem to be doing a lot of this whatever there's a lot of finger wagging about cultural appropriation so what are we talking about um yeah we're talking about all kinds of different things um i think one of the biggest examples or one that's come up in both of the episodes we've done previously is the um tradition of every k-pop group having a rapper Mm -hmm. like that k-pop was started on so taiji like sampling black music like flava flav says yeah boy in the quote-unquote first k-pop song like because that was like a straight lift right and then it just stayed and it like doesn't matter what the concept of the group is. Like mm-hmm. everyone has to have a rapper. Right. Even a super girly group like Twice, like they still have rap breaks in their songs. So when we think about cultural appropriation in K-pop, it can take a lot of different forms, right? In the formation of the groups and the like physical, visual stylings, all kinds of different things. Even the music style, when we when we see that like, oh, so-and-so is doing a new, is coming out with a new album and it's going to be an urban genre or something right the word urban can be problematic in a lot of contexts we talked previously about how g idol came under fire when they were on queendom for saying that they wanted to have an ethnic hip song or if it's described as having like afro beats um and i was reading a lot about because like we were saying you know music it's hard to say, you know, oh, this is being appropriated versus this is inspired by. Like, how do you know the difference? Um, And there's a lot of gray area. I feel like there's not really a clear answer of like, well, if it fits these parameters, then there you go. It's not appropriated. I I think that's another like huge part of like everything that we're going to talk about today is that like in the grand scheme of things, most of the stuff that we're talking about today is just like art and like expression art is subjective and people get to decide mm-hmm. how they interpret it or whatever. Um, but yeah, this mu- the music part I had never really thought about before because I think in my mind, I always was just like, well, isn't that the point of music that there's all of the instruments and you use them to like in new combinations to make new music? Like, isn't that the beauty of music? But I don't know. Maybe there are examples of it. Like, no, it's not that it's, this is definitely like, Well, I think it comes, I think it comes down to, yeah, is it mocking, right? So you have to think about how are the elements being used, right? Is it like an instrumentation that's being incorporated into it, but it doesn't necessarily like influence the rest of the styling? I see um, Wonder Girls, Why So Lonely is hailed oftentimes as like a way that you can do cultural appreciation because that's a reggae song, but the reggae culture and like visual elements of what you usually think of when you think of reggae music is not in the music video or in the styling of it. Like they were sort of California beach Barbies, I guess, Mm -hmm. but they weren't, it wasn't like, you know, 
um, it wasn't appropriating visually from that culture. And then I see an example of something like G Idol's La Tata was criticized a lot because it does have some um, like Indian musical elements to it. And then the music video stylings of the fashion and like the the um, henna tattoos I think they have in that music video mm -hmm. and some of the other stylings that took from like Bollywood dance moves and the criticism that I read of it is that the stereotype of Indian women is often that they are like overly sexualized. And so then to use that kind of um, visuals as a way to be sexy, like if that's the purpose of it in the music video is for the girls to look sexy, it's perpetuating the stereotype that these mm. women are seen as sexual objects. And that's where, the, where it becomes problematic. So that's not necessarily like a, you know, fiery indictment of G-Idol. I'm just sh sharing examples just I've come out, across. Um, just talking it out. But yeah, I felt like those, when it came to the influence in the music, it gets a lot muddier in trying to parse out the ones that I think people have larger problems with. Um, really? But I think most often, and the, the clearer examples and the ones that we see more often in K-pop come in like the styling and the fashion of the idols right so common examples black hairstyles like dreads cornrows box braids any of that hair stuff um indian jewelry bindis henna tattoos like we just talked about um religious symbols and objects being used as props or set decoration um also like certain i feel like stylings like some like a music video will have like an egyptian set or like an arabian night set or something in order to set a particular mood for the for the music video and so you have to consider like is it necessary to the entire concept of the music video like does it make it seem like you said as a prop um how else um so we have a, we like, here are just a few like examples of some things that like caught a little heat or were like heavily criticized. Um, in 2010, Tiara had a music video for their song, Ya Ya Ya. We talked about this in the mm -hmm. Tiara episode and we're very disgusted by it because it is a weird like native theme, but like it's like pastel and it's very offensive. Um, in 2014, Super Junior's Mamacita music video had kind of like an American West Mexican standoff kind of plot line. So people were wearing big comical mustaches and stuff. So like, does that border on the mocking we were talking about? Mamacita actually came out for more, un more under fire for the, um, like the mariachi outfits that the boys wear in the dance sequence, like the Western sort of like goofy part of it. I think they did, they sort of stayed away from like those sort of traditional Mexican stereotypes, but then in the like actual styling of the song itself, they wear these like red mariachi suits when they do it. There's a lot in the lyrics that some fans thought was sort of aggressive in the way that they are like, that the guy is speaking to the mamacita. Um, they were also criticized for like including the ay 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 in the chorus because that's stereotypical as well. Um, so there was more like almost like lyrical content that Super Junior got criticized for, which I think is even, that it happens even more rarely. 
to me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. See, <laughs> I, I totally even assumed the wrong thing that was wrong with that comeback. Like, yeah. What people weren't mad about the set. I read a, several different fans who were like, actually, I thought the cowboy thing was funny, but like, I don't like how they're talking to the mamacita and stuff like that. And then also, like I was talking about with G Idol and like Bollywood dancing, Latin women are often stereotyped as being like fiery and over-sexualized. And so that was a criticism that was made of that music video as well. And the sort of general like idea of having a mamacita anyway. Um, but anyway, one that was particularly egregious was in 2016, Oh My Girl, uh, they and their whole fandom got criticized on like the international stage because they did... They did a, so some, I think fans pointed out or something like that a part of the Windy Day choreography seemed to remind some K fans of like, I guess, Bollywood dancing. And Mm -hmm. so K fans started calling Oh My Girls curry idols. Um, Yes. And so then, shortly after that nickname caught on, uh, Oh My Girl performed a song called Curry, which is by a group called Norazo. They're from, like, 2010. They're a duo that's still around. Um, Oh, no, I think they came out in 2005, and the song's from 2010. Anyway, it's a very offensive song that's filled with, like, a lot of um, Indian stereotypes that are harmful in a lot of different ways um and oh my girl performed this at in 2016 with a dance um that obviously like was a bit of a bastardization of of bollywood and indian dance moves um and so people were incredibly offended by that but i didn't hear any kind of reaction as far as like did oh my girl or their company make a public statement or an official statement recognizing that how offensive that performance was i didn't see anything about it right um so i don't don't know that it did um into uh one i wrote down was that in 2017 when minx changed their name to dreamcatcher um this was a bit of an issue and i had honestly not even thought about it Mm -hmm. i hadn't thought about it either a native comedian that I follow talked about it like in a Twitter rant among other things. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, I, cause dream catchers are like another like sacred symbol that have just been sold in pure one imports for the last 30 years. Like, yeah, they're just a kitschy like, thing to have. Hippie white girls have dream catcher tattoos and shit like that. Right. Um, so I know that there is like from just what I've gathered of like being a fan of Asian junkie, who is a very big fan of Dreamcatcher, that like they're, they have a very tiny fandom, but they're like very aware of this issue and like tried to do their best to like tell the company about it. And they all seem to just call them DC. Mm. Um, so there's like an awareness there, but like that feels like a much bigger thing as opposed to like a single music video concept that like, this is what they named their group. And it's the yeah. second name that they had. So like, can you could you True. get them to change it at this point like you know yeah prob- probably not um but that is interesting that it's the second name they chose too so it's kind of like what can yeah what can you do about it mm-hmm. um very recently in 2020 bringing it up to how like you know this is not an issue of the past it's very much still happening today an issue of every day um black pink recently got criticized um because of their how you like that music video which just came out like a couple weeks ago if that 
I don't even, I don't know <laughs> what is time. I think it came out like a four, like it came out a couple of days ago. I think. Days? Like Has it only been days? I anyway. it's only been days. But in the know. music video, in the music video, there's a scene where Lisa is sitting in like a throne and then on the floor in the, in the background is a statue that many people thought looked like the Hindu deity Ganesha. Um, and so people were incredibly offended that it was being used as a prop and that it was also placed on the floor, um, which goes against like religious beliefs of iconography. Um, so uh, YG took that one, like photoshopped that one thing out of the music video. Um, so they changed it. They edited it, but I don't think there was like a massive apology or anything. They just got rid of it. No public statement. They just quietly erased it. Well, at least they did something, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that's just like a small primer of like what we're talking about right now. But I want to sort of like backtrack to the uh, to our specific episode about anti-blackness, because this is something that I wanted to talk about in that episode, but because it was like bigger and part of this longer larger conversation we saved it um and this is like incidents of like wearing black hairstyles um and just as an example because i pulled the list together i'm just going to read a really quick list of just like some people that do like that i could find really quick so we can see how prevalent this is <clears throat> uh nct win-win in the 2017 limit limitless comeback nct taeyong a few times to anyone dara dozens of times Blackpink Lisa, Kill This Love music video. Exo Kai, Wolf music video. Stray Kids, Bang Chan, a 2019 uh, Three Racha stage. Hyolin in a 2015 Zico collab. Four Minute, Gayun and Hyuna in the Crazy music video. Uh, 2 p.m. Taekyeon for a commercial. Jay Park, quite a few times. Heechul for the Mr. Simple comeback. Changmin in the 2006 TVXQ tour. Uh, it's Yeji in the Icy music video. IU in the BB in the BBB music video, uh, winner Sunghoon in the everyday music video, AT San at the Halloween stage last year, um, dreadlocks, uh, Namjoon from BTS had real dreadlocks before they debuted, like in his personal life. Jackson had them in a 2017 Pepsi ad, Zico on 5 million different occasions, Kai in the Coco, mu Coco Bot music video and the album jacket, Taeyong in the Ringalinga comeback, Vix Ravi in 2017 concerts. And then there's a small list for like, quote unquote, gel twists, which are not all the way dreadlocks. And that's BTS J-Hope in the Chicken Noodle Soup music video, Rain in the Law Song music video, Tamian in Celebrity Magazine 2017, and Pentagon Yuto in the Thumbs Up comeback. And that, so I just rambled, but like, that's just a bunch of things. And almost all of them, as you can see, were like official, like part of comeback looks yeah it's usually either like the music video look and so then it happens on at least one stage like with Kai and Coco Bop and Wolf also um or it's like a part of the it's a for, specifically for a photo shoot um but it is like very prevalent probably it's the very... most prevalent example of cultural appropriation in k-pop Yes, because it's very it's very easy to spot and it feels mm -hmm. pretty indisputable. Um, but every time that this happens, because it does happen like literally every year, multiple times a year and has since K-pop started. Yeah. And people say like, but it's just hair. 
Um, and so I just want to go into why it's not just hair. Um, and first of all, I think that the statement just hair is kind of hilarious because I feel like K-pop stands more than anybody like really care about hair. We spend so much time talking about hair, like, oh, they dyed their hair. Oh, they cut their hair. Like we very much care about the hair, obviously. True. Um, and people care about their hair. Like if you're having a bad hair day, like your day is ruined and like everybody has feelings about their hair. Like, I wish it wasn't so curly. I wish it wasn't so straight. And when people start losing their hair, they can have like mental breakdowns about it. Like hair is very important to people. So it's not just hair. No, it's a big piece of your identity in a lot of different ways. And like the way that you wear it and the way that, um, you know, it grows, etc. People are, get very attached to their hair. Yes. And so specifically, these types of hairstyles that the idols are getting are called out for are called protective styles. Um, and they are worn by black people who have who oftentimes have very, very tight, curly hair and braiding it tightly or or twisting it into dreadlocks like protects your hair from like breaking and getting all like frizzy um and like in the summertime like put it away mm-hmm. um however like at least for sure here in the states and i'm sure in lots of other places the like white people in charge have decided that these types of hair looks are unprofessional or that they look dirty and so school dress codes or work dress codes or the military's dress codes say that people can't have these hairstyles um yeah there's a very long history specifically in the united states of like real legal action against wearing natural hairstyles um and that really goes back pretty it goes back pretty far um there's a book called hair story um which is written by two two people of the history of black hair one of the authors is named Lori tharps and this is a quote i see a lot when people talk about like non-black people wearing braids or dreads or hairstyles um She said, just about everything about a person's identity could be learned by looking at their hair. And she's talking about like the early African civilizations that had really, really intricate hairdos that would tell you a family, like their family background, their social status, their wealth, a marital status. There were specific hairstyles for if you were going to war, specific hairstyles for if you were um, in mourning, like if you were a widow. Um, And so there are a lot of like religious and spiritual traditions tied to specific hairstyles. Um, And then when the slave trade started, and so um, African citizens were being taken from their homes, cutting all of that hair off became a very easy way to dehumanize and to strip the cultural identity of the people who were being taken as slaves. And then even after the Emancipation Proclamation passed and slavery ended in the States, there was this huge pressure for black citizens to meet those European standards of beauty. And so it became really popular to like relax your hair or create hair combs. Um, There's even a Netflix series about like Madam CJ Walker. She was the first black billionaire. I really want to start that. Yeah, she's interesting. So she became famous because of her hot comb technology, which allowed um, black women to more easily like relax their their hair. Yeah, straighten their hair. And in order to quote unquote look professional uh, and look clean and well-groomed but it's not something that is like 
this kind of stuff still happens. If you look up, you can look up a lot of different examples of like school police that are, uh, that have like ticketed or, you know, arrested or like detained individuals because of their hair. It happens a lot in schools where students are persecuted, like if they're wearing a natural afro and then, oh, the kid behind them complains that they can't see or whatever. There's all kinds of different bullshit reasons and excuses that are just a way to like hide these racist attacks on people because of the way they're wearing their hair. So the idea that it's not or that it is just hair there's there's just so much behind it yeah <laughs> there's just exactly there's so much more um to this issue than just hair and I think like uh, one way that I've seen it like illustrated very nicely is um Danny from DKDK TV who is like that is a controversial gang in the like k-pop commentary world because they're dudes and they say whatever they want because they're dudes and they're not gonna mm, get in trouble but they're just like guys and they have a YouTube show and they like talk about K-pop news and people either love them or absolutely hate them. Anyway, Danny did a talk at a college about like PC, PC culture or like trying to explain things like cultural appropriation to like these Korean college students. Um, and he was saying that, you know, people are like, yeah, but like we think that it looks pretty like. how is it hurting anybody if I just like I think this hairstyle is cool so I want it like how is that hurting anybody's feelings like Mm -hmm. just to have this hairstyle and he was sort of explaining it as that it's like poking at people's bruises Mm -hmm. um that like when an idol or a Kylie Jenner or whatever gets tons of praise for their like beautiful box braids like a person who has been like othered or teased or like punished for having that same hairstyle, like it's poking at their bruises right. to be like, it looks good on them, but does it look good on you? And exactly. Like- and it's, it looks good on them, but it doesn't look good on the culture that originated the hairstyle, right? Like who's being celebrated for that, for that hair cultural element in general right not just the hairstyle but like who's being celebrated for it and who originated it in the first place and if those two things don't match up then you have a problem right and then I think the other argument that comes up a lot like when people want to fight about dreadlocks or braids or whatever that like people will come in and be like but Africans are not the only people that do that like ancient Chinese shamans have dreadlocks or like they come up with other examples Mm -hmm. for those things which might be true But in almost all of these cases with these idols, like the hairstyle comes along with some kind of hip hop concept, which is further perpetuating the idea that blackness is a costume and that black people are only one thing. And that one thing is like the movie Boys in the Hood. Like, yeah, it's very like nobody is wearing dreadlocks because they're doing an ancient shaman concept. Like if they were, then I guess we could talk about that. But you know what I mean? Like, that's not a fair comparison yeah absolutely because you have to think like we were talking about earlier you have to think about the general context right and like is that element how is the element being used is it being used all by itself etc right but it is interesting I feel like it is a thing that people get very touchy about like talking about like who can and can't do things um like I remember before a dance show once, I went to a braiding place specifically to get my hair put in a braid so that it would not be in my face at dance because I can't do that myself. And I was very clear with the girl. I was like, please just like 
white cheerleader French braid. Like, I do not want to look like I'm trying to be anyone or like, please don't Kylie Jenner me. And the like braider girl got like very, very defensive and was like, nobody owns braids. And like, whoever told like, you can have whatever. And she like got very upset at me for like, Mm. I don't know, being particular about my, and I just thought that was like so weird because she worked at a place where they like only braid hair. So like, I guess it's in her business interest to be like, everyone anyone can have braids but you know what I mean it was just like a yeah it was an interesting people get touchy about it for sure for sure (laughs) since hairstyles are the most I think common and prevalent and obvious example of cultural appropriation in k-pop we often we really have to ask ourselves like the idols are usually the ones who get a lot of the the criticism for it right if Kai is going to be wearing dreadlocks people immediately criticize Kai for that decision but as k-pop fans we know especially if you're a good listener and student of ours we know that the idols are not the only ones or maybe not even the ones making the decisions when it comes to the music video stylings the concepts the comeback looks they're not alone in making this decision if they're even involved in the decision at all right Um, yeah, it's one of those very frustrating things where, you know, that everything that goes into like a K-pop comeback has to pass over like at least 20 people's desks. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when there's something like a particularly egregious, it's just like, how did this, how did this get past anyone? Like that there were so many people and like not one person was like, Hey, maybe not. Um, and so that can be very frustrating. Um, but something you wrote in here that I thought was very interesting is that like idols are a final product that Mm. are like made by an entire agency. Um, and I know that like, that might seem like we're shifting the blame or whatever and saying like idols are totally innocent and they don't like none of them are ever wrong. Um, but I really do think like time and time again, we've been shown that like they don't have any input about like what they get to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there or, are many examples that show that like idols have very little say, we'll say like very little say in what they look like from comeback to comeback. And these comeback outfits and concepts, like they pass through, you know, producers and songwriters and stylists and makeup artists and music video directors and managers and all of these different, all, a huge K-pop machine that all approves this. So, and you also have to think like when it gets down the line and that idol's hair, that idol is sitting in the chair and getting their hair braided or whatever, do they even really have the option to say like, hey, I don't think that this is a good idea. Or if they did, are they going to be shut down right away to be like, well, too late, right? We've already invested this much money. Like we already planned for this to be your look. Like the stamp is already, already there. But ultimately, most of those decisions are coming from stylists or like a team of stylists. And I think that's something you mentioned very early on, but like is a very big part of this problem is that I think like the world of fashion in general has a very hard time like dealing with any kind of appropriation because again, like it's art Mm -hmm. and like, who are you to question my art? Um, or like I didn't intend it to be offensive or whatever. Um, but intent doesn't matter once art is released. Like now the public gets to interpret it. But like I just feel like 
it's just always been a problem in fashion and it's like a thing that gets criticized all the time and mm-hmm. like any season of America's Next Top Model they like gave white girls braids or like put people in like offensive Asian outfits or like whatever like just for the for the aesthetic of it all right um, and there's so many examples of like high fashion runway shows that take that have like an Egyptian theme or something and then like every right. model is wearing like a weird headdress um but that those kinds of things like yeah fashion I think is a incredibly guilty of cultural appropriation in many different ways and it kind of like has always been really unapologetic about it because they do hang on this idea of like it's art and like it's expression or whatever um but then we have to start thinking about you know like who is profiting off of that culture and is if the original if the original creators of that culture are not profiting off of it if somebody else is like making more money or like getting more recognition or praise for their use of that culture than the original culture then it becomes then it's exploitative and that's when it's a problem and so like but that sort of offers like a way that like if companies wanted to try and not like offend people like they could just do some more work mm-hmm. um like that same native comedian i was talking about before his name is lucas brown eyes by the way if you want to follow him but he was talking about how like if you are a coachella girl and you just really 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 want to wear native stuff to coachella because you like love it then like you have to go buy something from like a native artist Mm -hmm. and it's probably going to cost a lot and it's probably not going to be the exact thing that you want because you don't get to wear that thing yeah you know what I mean so I think like often like there could be a chance that like a company could like hire the right like oh they want to do a Bollywood style thing then they should hire a Bollywood choreographer but that choreographer might tell them that their vision is offensive and they can't do it so like right then they'll just do it their own way and then nobody tells you no Mm -hmm. Um, can we do the can we talk about capitalism now absolutely okay especially because like those you know doing that work and hiring for example that Indian choreographer right well if the Indian choreographer tells the k-pop company you know I think that like maybe your Indian fans could be offended by this they don't fucking care about that because the the truth of the matter at the end of the day is capitalism, baby. And so if those Indian fans don't make up a large enough percentage of where they're getting their money from, then it's really not in their interest, in their economic interest, to take that time and pay that money to put in that work so that they are aware of all of the different fans that they may have. I was reading about how, um, you know, in the general like international market of fans, the Japanese fan base is the largest, right? And so that's obvious because you can see like specific Japanese comebacks and tours, etc. We've talked about them plenty of times here and how there's so much of it that we just don't cover it at all because it's such a huge like separate thing in the K-pop industry. But because the Japanese in fan base is so large and is so lucrative when it comes to cultural appropriation in Japanese culture 
Those kinds of things are very carefully vetted and they're taken care of right away because the Korean music industry knows that they can't afford to lose their Japanese fan base. So for example, in uh, the most recent Wavy comeback, this Turn Back Time promotions, there were some photos taken of the boys. I think Kuhn and Winwin were wearing jackets that had like a bunch of different pins and stuff on them. They had like this weird like grungy schoolboy look. So they had some pins that had some phrases that were that Japanese fans found offensive. And so as soon as that the pictures were released and uh, fans started to grumble about the pins, SM immediately took the photos down, edited them, and then re-released them without the pins. The whole album was like pulled, like mm-hmm. stop production, destroy the old ones. Like they stopped everything to yeah. stop those pictures from being in the album. Mm-hmm. So like they're capable of like drastic and swift action. Yeah, they literally stopped. They were like, stop the presses. And then yes. they did. <laughs> so it is possible. But the like sort of unfortunate truth about it is that it's not profitable possible but not profitable so that's you know why does this keep happening well that's why because they can continue to make this music and make this money um and you know a couple of people complaining about it across the sea just don't it doesn't really make a difference right right Mm -hmm. um so I guess that like leads us into the ultimate like question of like what is appreciation and what is appropriation. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this like constantly for weeks and like this is another thing where like I feel like I don't have like the clearest of answers um because like being offended by something is like a personal feeling Mm -hmm. so like there might be say like here's this like middle eastern themed music video there might be one fan that's like this is the greatest i love that they're calling attention to my culture and someone else might say like this is offensive and i hate it and they're both right because it's like their opinion and it's a thing that like therapists say all the time but like can both things be true And I feel like with a lot of this stuff, like, both things are true. I don't know. Mm. Like, for example, card is very, very, very big in Latin America. So they've, like, adopted their sound to sort of, like, sound like more popular music there. Like, is that authentic appreciation of their fans and, like, trying to, like, get to know them? Or is it, like a shallow marketing technique to like exploit a group of people it honestly is probably both yeah yeah because it's yeah for sure it's interesting in because that made me think of like when got seven put out a spanish version of lullaby but that i almost feel like is a better example of like something that would be more appreciative and less appropriative because I mean, Card, I think, like, from the beginning, their, like, debut song always had, like, I think Caribbean, like, uh, instrumental elements to it. And then, like, because it was popular in Latin America, like, they definitely have kept that as their, like, sort of signature sound. Um, And they do sometimes build their visual concepts around that sound as well. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. And so, like, you know, walking the line of cultural appropriation, maybe. But then with something like, got seven putting out a Spanish version of lullaby like that I feel like is you know on the one hand 
a capitalistic ploy to just get like Latin American fans to purchase that version, which it worked. I did. Um, but, but it also, because the, like, they didn't change anything about the song, right. Except for the lyrics, they didn't change anything about like the way it was performed or the costumes that they wore when they performed it or the way that they danced it. It just was in Spanish. And so that to me feels more like an acknowledgement of like, hey, we are really popular in Latin America and we're like so appreciative of that. So here is like something just for you. Like that to me felt a little bit more of like, oh, I love this. Like, this is nice. I feel seen yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed to like, are you exploiting me? Um, right. But yeah, totally. And and like, again, I don't know if it like actually helps and like it's up, I guess it's like up to people's interpretation if it does help. But like, you know, for example, in that winter everyday music video that I brought up earlier where one member has braids, all of the girls that they're dancing with in that music video are black and brown and two of them have braids too. So like, is that better? Like, I don't know. Some people might say that it's better. Like, uh, but I don't know. But it's like at least in like an effort was like made to like include mm-hmm. people of color when making like music about oh, yeah I, like but I then also know. on the flip side of that i would say like uh in xosc's uh what a life music video they have like multi they have like diverse dancers on the boat with them which i thought was nice at the time where i was like oh i like that like look at them they're like including you know diverse ladies in their music video you'll love to see it KXOLs hated to see it. There was a lot of bullshit surrounding that like mm-hmm. decision. But then I also like, I've just been feeling very bitter about the fact that like no member of EXO said anything at all about the Black Lives Matter movement. And I know we've already talked about like, you know, holding specific idols to certain expectations, but I am personally like disappointed in it just because EXO, as we've said so many times, like is wildly guilty of cultural appropriation, especially when it comes to black culture in hairstyle, in music style. And like XOSC in particular is a hip hop group. And so I just like, now I'm thinking like, well, you had those diverse dancers in your music video in order as like a nod to your international fans, but you don't seem to deem it necessary to like address this international movement that's incredibly important to those same fans. Like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, okay. Um, but I don't know. It's a, there's no, there's no hard and fast, like tried and true rubric, I guess, that we can have for these, for these times to sort of guide us through them. But I did see a set of like quest guiding questions, um, that I thought were helpful when we are talking about that fine line between appropriation and appreciation. Um, and I think the general consensus of all of the different think pieces I read about this um, was that it's crucial to have understanding and awareness and that you have to respect other cultures while also properly conveying their cultural values. Um, That came up a lot, this idea of like, how are you portraying the other culture? So some questions that you can ask yourself if you're thinking, is this offensive? So you can, depending on whatever the element may be, right, you can ask yourself, is this element really necessary, right? If, mm-hmm. if it wasn't in the music video or the song or the stage or the outfit, would the general concept suffer or be less or like be bad in any way? Mm-hmm. How is it being used? Is it being used for fun? 
Are they using the cultural element as a costume or a prop? Is it relevant to the general concept of the song? And is that concept really necessary? Could you mm -hmm. put out this song without that cultural element? Um, and I think that those in particular were like helpful to keep in mind as far as, is this bad? How do yeah, we know? Absolutely. Is this bad? How do we know? Yeah. <laughs> and other good questions for today. And other good questions. Um, but yeah, I guess like it just feels like like this is a thing that is probably like never. It doesn't seem like it's going to stop or slow down anytime soon. Um, and I just like personally find it to be like such a bummer mm -hmm. because I think so much of my love of k-pop is the whole premise of this podcast is the love of sharing it mm -hmm. and so when i feel like a k-pop music video has like problematic or like cultural appropriation like i want to hide it i like don't i don't want anybody to see it like i'm not proud of it and i don't want to show it off yeah like that chunga comeback that i loved so much the state of night one that like arguably was like making great strides for like you know korean drag queens or whatever boys in makeup and heels like that's cool but there was a stage where those same boys had do rags on mm -hmm. and so every time i sent somebody that stage because i was like look at this dance i had to make sure it wasn't that one because yeah. like ooh. Mm -hmm. and then like i have a yuto uh thumbs up uh photo card but he has those like weird gel things that look too much like dreads and like i don't put it up in my photo card thing because i like find it embarrassing sure or like when we even when we learned when we learned the dance to Boombaya, oh my god, Black yes, Pink, this. and there's that whole part at the end. There's like an entire instrumental bridge of them just like doing this very offensive, quote unquote, Native American war cry, and it's horrible. And you like go around in a circle doing this like straight out of like that Peter Peter Pan, Pan. like yes, yes, straight out of that Peter Pan scene. And I never show that video to anyone, even though I thought we did a really good yeah, job in that we dance. we were very good at that yeah, dance. we were. But and, I but can't I show couldn't... it to anyone because it's offensive. It's shameful. So, like, yeah, that's that's just, like, how every time I feel like this happens, I just, like, let out, like, the a very big sigh of, like, oh, like, another, like, shameful, another shameful thing about K-pop. But we have to get more comfortable with, like owning it and calling it out even though it yeah. is shameful because like you were saying in a previous episode about this idea of like how when a fan will say something problematic and then the other fans are like oh we don't claim them and so it's like no we have to claim it like when shit like this happens we have to be like yes they did this and that was offensive and i like i hope they don't do it again because that was hurtful or whatever right um and like we were saying, you know, the reality of whether or not that practice would change on a company-wide level is small just because of the money capitalism factor of it all. But as fans, we can still be critical of ourselves and of the art that we are choosing to participate and support. Yeah, definitely. And I guess like one piece to reiterate that I meant to say in like the last like three episodes um and dealing with the whole idea of like being defensive and like uh, who am I allowed to like now or whatever 
which is just the general idea that like cancel culture is like not a real thing. Like society has never outright canceled anyone. Like everybody gets to keep being around because people will always like have fans and defenders. So like the idea of like canceling someone is like for you. Like if somebody like has repeatedly done a thing after being told not to anymore, or this group keeps doing concepts that are offensive to you, like they can be canceled to you. Mm -hmm. And like, and you should be able to say that like, you know, like this person has offended me and I'm done with them. And again, other people should not say that you are a fake fan or fight you about it. And like people should be better at like engaging when people are offended instead of like just shutting off that like, okay, that person is done and anyone who likes them is done or like whatever side just like shutting it out and making it a very black and white issue when like I feel like these things need to be like talked about. Yeah. Greater depth. Yeah. Just in general, we have to become a lot. I mean, I I was going to say comfortable, but we just have to, we have to become comfortable having these uncomfortable conversations. But like Mm -hmm. you were saying, you know, if, if I were to say like, you know, this, this thing, this person, whatever offended me and I don't want to be a fan of this group anymore for another fan to get like very defensive or to shut me down or to yell at me or insult me because I've chosen to no longer be a fan of that thing they really love. Like we just have to remember that it's not necessarily a criticism of you for being a fan of that thing. And like, we just have to be very careful with how we, how we think critically and how we accept criticism of the, of the things that we are fans of. Yeah, and, like, we've been saying for multiple episodes that, like, it's important to, like, listen to people and that everybody's going to have different experiences of the world and it colors how they feel about things. Um, And so, like, all the questions that you put forth before of, like, deciding if something is, like, offensive or not, like, take those and take what different people are saying about it. And then, like, you get to make up your own mind about whether you're going to support that thing or not, I guess. But, um I think you can also, you can also make up your own mind to, well, not necessarily not have an opinion about it, but like you can also, I think we, no, I know what I think. Yeah. This idea of like admitting that you don't know enough about something to make a, to make a conclusion. Right. So like if, for example, um, you are hearing about this new comeback and some fans are criticizing it for being offensive to a particular culture and you don't know anything about that culture, there's nothing wrong with saying like, you know, I don't feel educated enough about this culture to make a, a statement either way. Right. Like I'm not personally offended by this, but I know nothing about that culture. I'm not a part of that culture. And therefore I can't speak on this. Right. Like there's we as a society have to be more comfortable saying, I don't know. And like admitting that we don't know and then taking the steps to educate ourselves about those things. But like, especially as fans, I think we are like sort of rushed and like, there's like a weird pressure to like, what do you think about this? Like this new thing came out, like give us your opinion or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. Sometimes you, sometimes opinions need to ruminate for a while. You have Mm -hmm. to like, you have to read and you have to learn and you have to think about it before you can decide one way or another, whether or not you like something. And that idea of like blindly liking something we warn about all the time. Right. 
yeah, we don't want to be like blindly loving or blindly hating anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the moment that information is presented to you, you like don't have to pick a side right then. (laughs) You can think about it. Mm -hmm. You can look for more information. Yes. Yes. And I do encourage that people do that. And you might, and you might come away from looking for more information still with no answer. And that's fine too. Yes. Because I found that with a couple of these things that I looked at, like, here's a whole essay of someone being like, this is bad. And a whole essay of someone being like, actually, that person is totally wrong. And like, nope, still don't know. But I read two full opinions about it. So like, <laughs> I've got that. Like, yes. at least now I have all the arguments around it. That's yeah. something. You have information. You just haven't, you know, drawn a conclusion. And that's all yeah. right. I've heard a quote before of like, everyone is entitled to their opinion, but no one is entitled to ignorance. Mm. So it's a a good thing to remember of if you don't know something, look it up. Google is our friend. I think that's a very good note to end on before we play the game. I think that's like a perfect bow. Let's do it. We all just need us and the idols and the companies and the stylists and everybody just needs to learn a little more Mm -hmm. and then we won't be stepping on people's toes because we'll know better yeah or we'll be able to apologize nicely and understand why we stepped on their toes when we inevitably do it yep yep all right with that we'll be right back with our random game all right we're back and today we got a relatively new-ish, new-ish, uh, I guess four years is a long time, but uh, we got Victon. Yes, they've come up a couple different times uh, in our in our show, various episodes. Um, Victon, they are a seven-member boy group from the company Play M, and they debuted in 2016. Um, Victon is apparently an acronym for Voice to New World. Okay. Um, yeah, PlayM is a Pink's company. That's mm-hmm. what it's called these days. So we've said that before. Um, yeah, they debuted in 2016 on a reality show called Me and Seven Men. <laughs> um, and it looks like they were just like steadily putting out EPs for a bit. And then yes. in early 2019, two members, Sungwoo and Byung-chan, participated in produce x 101 yes one of them byung chan left the show before the final before the final decision was made um because he had uh an injury in his he had achilles tendonitis but the other member song Wu, made was ranked third in the final ranking and so he made it into the group x1 but as we know x1 did not make it but a month um, and collapsed due to controversy. So he's back with Vic Tun, and they have already put out a mini album in March of this year. Yes, they did put out one EP with just six of them while Songwoo was on Produce X 101. Um, and then they recently came back in March of 2020 with the mini album Continuous. Uh, they have altogether six EPs and eight singles. And this newest EP, Continuous, it peaked at number two. Yes. And then just about a month ago, they put out a single called Mayday, 
And that's what we're going to be watching today because by 1 million views, it is their most popular music video. Yes. It also marks the group's third win. Just recently on June 9th, 2020, they won on the show for this song, Mayday. Yeah. So I'm very curious. I feel like I might know this song because I usually try to like keep up with the new releases and listen to them at least once. So I'm curious if I know this. Um, but I have a feeling, I feel like we have listeners that are like Vic Tun stands. Like, I don't know. They just feel like they've just been, been there. They've definitely been on like the periphery, I feel like, for quite a long time. Um, I definitely, yeah, that's a name I'm familiar with, but a discography that I'm not. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so you ready to watch this Mayday music video? One, two, three. Okay, we have a silhouette following, falling into a red abyss. Oh, oh it's that's that the building. same building that uh, one of the Lunas did her solo in. Yeah, and I think Chang'a did something in this too. It's a popular building. It's like a round, abandoned parking structure. Okay, the boy who fell is getting up slowly and there's like a flash getting, of like yeah. a beauty queen. Flashes of a lady in a gown and a mask. Okay, there's planets above him. This is trippy. A lot of things are happening. They changed his outfit. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so we've got like a flight suit, black turtleneck aesthetic sort of thing happening here. Oh, crotch grabbing. Yeah, I like, I mean, the looks are very good. I mean, like the song, the the aesthetic of the song is very sexy. It is. The sound of it. It's like... This guy's hair is very bad. He's got um, hydro peroxide roots. They look very bad. Yeah. Oh, oh, the beauty queen had a Bonero. <laughs> the slow crotch grab in the choreo is funny. It's crazy. Ah, uh, yes, body, body roll break. Okay, now we have flags and those like colored smoke canisters. The visuals of this music video are a little confusing. I feel like it's not telling a cohesive story. Yeah, because now they're in a forest. And remember at the beginning, he fell out of the sky. And there were <laughs> he did. planets. 
All the planets are back. Hi, notes. <laughs> Yeah, and also the set with the plants and the TVs. It looks very cheap in comparison to the rest of the music video. The universe oh. just like fell into a wormhole. Interesting. Well, well, that was I liked Tom's the newest song. song. The song seemed catchy, very dramatic. Yeah, it was very dramatic. I liked that, like that specific, like very slow, like sexy tempo. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that. Um, is that Nick Jonas? That like close song. That like came out a couple of years, like "Won't You Close," Ooh, or was that Zayn? Who sang that? I don't, I don't think know. I know that song. Oh, okay. So I don't somebody, know. <laughs> some boy, a couple of summers ago, sang a song that sounded kind of like that. Both Nick Jonas and Zayn seem the type. So, <laughs> so whoever it was, that's the point. Is it reminded me of that? Yeah, and um, I love a flight suit. Uh, I love a flight suit concept. So yeah. definitely gonna look and see. And they look like they were doing cool things with the choreo too. So I might, I might have to look up a stage of that. Yeah, for sure. It's like new or like almost, almost on a new thing. So hey. Yeah, pretty recent. Pretty recent. What do you um, want? What do you so want? now is <laughs> cats. <laughs> Um, so now is the point where we usually do a recommendation, but like, I gotta be real that since we're recording at like home now and not stacking up in the studio, like not enough days have passed since the last episode. And I don't know if I like have anything new. Like the only thing that I like am consuming is this, it's okay to not be okay drama that I talked about last week. Like I have now watched all of the episodes twice and me and our friend Jenna just like talk about it all day. It's the best drama I've ever seen. So like, I don't, I don't know what else is going on. Um, I've watched all the Sunmi stages again. That was your recommendation last mm-hmm. week. I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, I feel like I have been um, just, like, not really keeping up with – I haven't – I feel like I haven't been listening to a lot of K-pop lately, like, even old stuff. Um, I just, like – I'm definitely caught up on all the left and right stages. Yeah, do you have any – because we haven't talked about it on the pod. Or do you have any, like, recommendations or thoughts about the Seventeen album? I love the album. The many – the I highly re- – I do highly recommend the mini album. It's um, it's not a full album. It's only six songs, and they're all pleasant and beautiful. Um, I really like Fearless. It's, like, the literal answer to fear. Um, but the rest of the songs – and then, like, obviously Left and Right is very funky. But the rest of the songs are, like, just very – like pleasant and almost sort of like almost they almost lean more toward like vocal vocal unit style songs um and they don't have individual unit songs on this album they're like Mm. whole group for all of them i think um but i love it it's very good um i do not love all of the outfits 
that have been happening yeah. on these stages. I got to say, like, if this is what the big hit closet is giving to my boys, I'm not pleased. Um, mm-hmm. But... It's very, very wild and, like, the exact opposite of cohesive, like, in any way. Yeah. It's like like they're all going to different parties and... Yeah, in the left and right stages in particular, like, there's no... There's very little to no cohesion in the looks. It's like, I I told you this the other day, like, they just picked silhouettes for each boy and are, like, throwing anything into the silhouette and it looks crazy. Like, some of them look fucking crazy. And then even in some of the Mai Mai stages, which the choreography for Mai Mai is really cool. It's very pantomime which is, like, shit that I love. Like, that is love just, like, it. peak 17. <laughs> love it. And in the music video and several of the stages, Boo is wearing the most egregious leather shorts that <laughs> I cannot forgive or abide. And I just... Don't know what's happening, but all I know is that I never used to hate any of Seventeen's outfits, and now I strongly dislike many of them. And that never used to happen before, I'm just saying. Just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, But, yeah. Well, also, it like got me down a weird armpit wormhole. And I oh my like, God, don't yes. We have to that. talk about this. <laughs> I didn't know when it was like acceptable to bring this up, but no, you guys. Now, <laughs> we have to talk about this, you guys, we because have to we talk have. About this. We're very stressed about this realization that we've had that we never, I would have never noticed. I hate that I've noticed. I, I literally never would have thought about it, but it's all 17's fault. And I have like. <sighs> okay, so, so here's what's happening. <laughs> In a lot of the stages for left and right, and like the choreography involves a lot of like putting your arms in the air and a lot of the outfits because they're like cool, hip, like summer street wear or whatever. And they've all been going to the gym too much. Right. And so a lot of the boys are like wearing sleeveless shirts and they've got their guns out. And then in all of the choreography, when they're raising their arms in the air, you can see that they have all shaved their armpits. And this is a situation where, like, for the first time in Seventeen's career, they have, like, three to four members in sleeveless tops. And so it's, and this particular choreography has a lot of armpit in the camera. So it's like, I'm trying to justify the fact that I'm not a fucking creep for noticing that they all are shaving their armpits. But... This was not always the case. And because it was like so blatantly in my face and I was like, I swear that this hasn't always been the case. And you guys, I'm I'm ashamed to say that I did some research into this (laughs) armpit debacle. Yes. And my current theory is that there is a new broadcasting rule that is like a that where I don't know there's like armpit hair is not allowed on stage because I looked up previous stages of shiny view yes when Mino was wearing that white Franklin cutoff and he did not shave his armpits in the music video and the choreography version for left and right June in 17 doesn't shave his armpits in the music video but when he's wearing the same outfit on stage yeah he is shaved so I don't this is a new rule I also looked, I was watching this other stage of some other group that I don't even remember now. And they also, he was, his armpits were shaved in that one too. And I think this, my current reigning theory is broadcasting rule. But I just have to bring this up because I've just lost a lot of like, I've just spent a lot of time thinking about armpits lately and it's upsetting. I know. And I like was feeling the same thing because I noticed it when on 
Road to Kingdom, T.O.O., did kept doing like tank top stages because they have like two yoked guys for no reason and like no armpit hair and I was like hmm that's very interesting and then the 17 stages and then like Shonu and Fantasia didn't have any either and I was like what's happening because I feel like like I felt like I noticed it because I wouldn't have noticed it before because it wasn't happening Mm -hmm. yes it was like something (laughs) it was like all of a sudden I was noticing armpits and I was like I feel like I've always I mean I'm always looking at biceps so right. it, it doesn't make sense that I would be like suddenly noticing this for the first time. So it feels new, but it feels, feels confusing new. and it makes us feel weird for having thought about it so much. Yeah, it makes me feel like a creep. <laughs> I have no other conclusion. Yeah. If anybody else has anybody else thought about this. If you haven't noticed, I'm up, I apologize because you will notice it now. You'll know now. It's the only thing you see. It's the only thing I see when I watch those goddamn left and right stages Ugh, those in the bad shorts i'm like really not forgiving of these shorts they put boo in cargo shorts the other day yeah 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 very bad very bad Unaccept- cargo shorts unacceptable those weird jeans that ming you had on that were like purple and yellow panels or whatever awful just awful oh did you see those weird ass pants that v8 was wearing the other day where it was like it was like one pair of pants on the top and then another pair of pants. And then he had these like thigh high, like chaps, like, like <laughs> boots over them. And one of the boot chap things like fell halfway through the performance. I'm like, what is wow. that? He, oh, I, I, uh, I don't know if they got a new stylist. I don't know what's happening. Very oh, interesting. Happening. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, anyway. I guess that'll be it for this week. Um, our recommendations are go armpit hair looking. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Uh, yeah, boy. my recommendation was I don't have a recommendation because I've been distracted by the armpits. <laughs> <laughs> so something yeah, that's I never how we're thought. doing. Yeah, that's that's how I'm doing. <laughs> oh, oh <no>. boy. <laughs> well, on that note. Um, just a reminder, I talked about it at, before the theme mo- music started, but K-pop, uh, the K-pop Social Night Podcast Fest is on July 18th. We're going to be doing a live show, and you can come, and it's only $5, and we're donating all of the money to charity, so you should definitely come and watch our podcast and a bunch of other podcasts. July 18th, we'll release the full schedule, and the schedule's on the website, but we'll keep hyping up the exact schedule, but if you want a ticket... Go to macgproductions.eventbrite.com, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And for updates, while we keep talking about that and other things, you can find us on social media at AMAKPOPPOD on Twitter and Instagram, AMAKPOPPOD at gmail.com for emails, 181AMAKPOP5 if you want to leave a voicemail, and our Discord community, ask me about K-pop, the Discord community, where everybody is showing us up constantly by like being making spreadsheets of things and like <laughs> being too organized they're playing uh they're currently until the end of the week playing Aranda or a song battle in the fun and games channel so i mean if you want to come hang out in the discord people seem to have a lot of fun there yeah lots of things are happening people are um, really active in it i know because what else are we gonna do um we're gonna so investigate in- the armpits that's yes what we're that's what we're gonna do <laughs> Um, all right. Well, until next week, uh, stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, be good. 
We'll talk to you later. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Jonghyun, you're our inspiration.